Amen. So good to see you here today, and I add my word of welcome to that which has already been given. So glad to see you in God's house today. Welcome, welcome to Pebble Creek. I'm Frank Page, and I am honored to greet you and and, uh, welcome you here today. Uh, One of my favorite um, pieces of literature is called the Reader's Digest. And from it, I get an amazing array of stories. One that I read not long ago entitled Clueless. It recorded the happenings of a man at an amusement park. He worked there. And he told the story of, turn that down just a little bit, Brother Jeff, uh, or whoever's got the sound, thank you. He told the story of a person that he had given out so many maps to people But one lady still came to him and said, why don't you put on the map an arrow and say, this is where I am. I keep getting lost. Maybe you'll catch that in just a moment. But it reminds me of that lady that called the main department of natural resources and told the people that she wanted the deer crossing signs moved from near her house because she didn't want the deer crossing there anymore. And so move the sign down the road somewhere else. Clueless is the phrase. Clueless is the phrase. Well, the people to whom Jesus spoke also seem to be clueless. So turn into your Bibles to John chapter 10. And we're going to see Jesus use some Near Eastern phraseology that may not connect as much to you it obviously didn't even connect to the people with whom he spoke but we see a lot of shepherd analogy now before we get to that go ahead and put up the picture if you would thank you honey this is a picture that I wanted you to see and we're going to look at it more in a moment but Jesus calls himself the door and it's not real real clear Uh, we have too much light in here for that but you can see the rocks surround making a kind of an enclosure and we're going to talk about that in a moment but we saw that uh, uh, presentation right before my sermon about the 23rd psalm the lord is my shepherd so we're going to see in john chapter 10 jesus talk about the good shepherd that comes next week but he talks about these shepherding kinds of concepts that are very rural and very Middle Eastern, and I have been in Jerusalem itself, the capital city of Jerusalem, should be the capital, but I've been through there, and I have been coming down the the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane, and have to move out of the way for a shepherd boy to bring a whole flock of sheep through the, the road. It is still to this day very rural, in uh, its mindset and so shepherds are still well known to this very day in Israel we'll come back to that but Jesus spoke to the people using this kind of terminology of sheeps sheepfolds and shepherds so let's look and see as he uses these symbols to help us understand who he is and what he does and what he does in your life So look with me to John 10, beginning with verse 1, and we're going to go all the way to verse 10, which is my favorite verse in all the Bible. Okay? It is today. But look at verse 1 with me. I assure you, 
And I think in King James it says, verily, verily. Verily, verily. I like that. Anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the door but climbs in some other way, he is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger because instead they will run from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this illustration, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. So verse 7, Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. He says it again. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. So here Jesus refers to himself as the door. Now, in all honesty, most scholars will tell you John 10 is a somewhat complex passage but it is made very simple when understanding the three declarations that he made and we're going to see them throughout this study but he begins today with that declaration I am the door and so he speaks of this kind of shepherding analogy now this sermon grew out of his earlier and continuing confrontation with the Jewish religious leaders. And so he is trying to get across to them uh, who he is. He'd already talked about being the light. Uh, He'd already talked about being the life. But now he changes the image to that of the shepherd and the sheep. So he opens his sermon with a very familiar illustration. One that every listener would have understood. I want you to Put that picture back up, Ashley, would you? Thank you. Because this is something they would all understand. I have seen one of these as I was riding one day in a bus up to Mount Carmel. Up on the mountainside, I saw a sheep fold. Now, they're all over the world, but they're all over Israel and more were at one time. Now, they use fences sometimes for this. But the sheepfold was an interesting architectural invention. It was made of rocks, obviously, in those days. Again, you can make it now of whatever you want to make it, fence, material, or whatever. And if there's one thing there's plenty of in Israel, it's rocks. It's a volcanic landscape, and so rocks are everywhere. So they gathered up the rocks to make this enclosure. And you can see there's just one door, one opening. And that opening is where the shepherd would lay down and sleep. At night, the shepherd would bring in not just his flock, but often there would be a number of flocks who would be brought together so they could lay down and rest at night. Why did they need that kind of protection? Well, because of nocturnal predators. 
horse. In that day and time, there were lions. Yes, there was an Asiatic lion that was indigenous to the area of Israel, no longer there. There was and still is close by uh, a type of Arab, they call him an Arabic uh, wolf, and they're still not in Israel, but not far away. They even have down in the Sinai, even to this day, a, a, a species of hyena. So there were a number of predators who would get in, particularly at night when they're more active, and kill the sheep, take away the sheep. So to protect the sheep, they were brought in, several flocks sometimes together, brought into the sheepfold, and the shepherd who was in charge that night would lay across the doorway so that the sheep wouldn't get out, so that the predators could not get in. When the morning came and the shepherd got up stiff from having laid in that place all night, but that's where they did, they, they slept out with the sheep, they, he would go out and call the sheep, and they knew his voice. So the other shepherds would gather. They would probably sleep in a tent or something or a hut of some kind, so they had it a little easier. But they would all come and call the sheep, and the sheep would always go to the voice that they recognized. They would never go to the wrong person. They knew the voice. The shepherd would speak to them, call them by name, call them out. They knew his voice. He would sometimes sing to them, and they knew exactly how to respond to his voice. So he would assemble his flocks. So what's Jesus saying here? Obviously, to those that understood that type of agrarian, rural kind of mindset, he's saying the sheep, the true shepherd, is the door. The true shepherd is the one who protects, the one who guides, and they know that shepherd's voice. Because the thieves would do what? They would come in to steal and to kill. You see, false shepherds can never lead their sheep. They have to steal the sheep. And I've seen this happen even in modern day cults. As they never lead the sheep, they have to steal the sheep. You see, the sheep follow only the voice of the shepherd. The listeners didn't understand. This occasion, of course, had been prefaced by, remember the story of the man who had been born blind? We studied it the last two weeks, one of the most powerful passages of Scripture. As this man who was born blind had this kind of amazing ability to speak back to the Jewish religious leaders. But remember after that he was kicked out of the synagogue, Jesus found him. Remember the last part of our last study last week. And in the midst of that beautiful Ray Partey, that discussion back and forth. He came to worship the Lord Jesus and know who he was. It was a powerful section. The Jewish religious leaders had rejected him, but Jesus found him and ministered to him because Jesus was the true good shepherd. They didn't care about this man. They tried to use him to get to Jesus. They didn't love him. They didn't care for him. We were talking in our Sunday school class just a moment ago how much the Lord loves us. And this God who is eternity itself, this God who is infinity himself still cares about you and me. I even used a phrase that I'm going to show it to you someday. I have it at home. I have what's called in a technical term, it's a, it looks like a bottle. You'd call it a bottle because you're redneck, but it's a lacrimatory. 
a group I was taking to Israel bought it for me and presented it to me my last time there, the last time I was there. It's beautiful. And it's a glass bottle. Because in that day, mourners, when they would cry for someone who died, they would catch their tears in a bottle, seal it up, put it in the grave with a dead person, and say, my tears go with you. But The Bible says in the book of Psalms, God says, I will catch your tears in my bottle. If you cry a lot, you're like me, you're a lachrymist. <laughs> you didn't even know what you were, did you? You're a lachrymist. But he says, I'll catch your tears in my bottle. Here's a God who is infinity, who is eternity, and he cares about you. Jesus manifests that to the man who had been born blind, who was kicked out of the synagogue, and he manifests his loving care to him and took him in. Second major point, since the people did not understand his symbolic language, he followed this illustration with a specific application. And so look with me at the latter portion of that text, and you'll see what we're talking about. Not once, but twice Jesus said, I am the door. I am the one who lays in that place so that no one comes in without me, no one goes out without me. I am the door. And those who trust in him, the Bible says, can enter into the Lord's flock and fold. And they have the wonderful privilege of having a relationship with him and a walk with him. They have the privilege of going in and out and feeding on great pasture. The shepherd actually was the door of the fold. And when one realizes that, the image becomes very clear. As the door, Jesus delivers sinners from bondage and leads them into freedom. Look at that, please. As the door, Jesus delivers sinners from bondage and leads them into freedom. Isn't that beautiful? He says they're saved. Look at that. Verse 9, I am the door. Any anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Now, there's a lot of modern-day preachers who don't like to use the word saved. They think it's kind of old-fashioned. Well, Jesus used it. Jesus liked it, so I like it. Are you saved? That means to have gone into the kingdom through Jesus Christ. It means delivered. It means safe and sound. The word was used in classic Greek literature to refer to someone who had been healed from an illness. You've been saved. It was used to describe someone who had gone through a raging storm and now you're safe. It was used to describe someone who had gone through a war and still survived. It was even used in legal ways to refer to someone who had been acquitted in a court of law. Let me tell you, when you're saved, you are freed from an illness that will destroy you. When you are saved, you come through many storms and know you've come out the other side. When you are saved, you have won the war, haven't you? When you are saved, you've been acquitted in the highest court to know I am saved, I am free because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Jesus was referring primarily, yes, in verse 8, to religious leaders who had come before him. He was not condemning prophets or servants of God who had ministered before, but he was speaking to the religious leaders who did not and would not accept the truth of his salvation. He loved the sheep. They did not. And so he gives this powerful illustration about how to come to freedom. But then he finishes with verse 10. What does it say? The thief comes only to do what? To steal, kill, and destroy. Now, have any of you ever had your house broken into? Or your car broken into? It's a terrible thing, isn't it? But that's what thieves do. They steal stuff. But normally, they don't kill and destroy. So Jesus is making reference to a type of thief here that is far worse. And you know who he's talking about. The one we're studying this next Wednesday night. The evil angel, the captain himself. His name is Satan. And Jesus here calls him the great thief. And he has come not only to steal, but he has come to kill and to destroy. And he is the ultimate energizer of all this evil activity and this verse is so powerful because it identifies who the master thief is he is Satan himself and he has come to do what to steal what has he stolen from you well let me tell you remember the story about the little old lady couldn't say anything mean about anybody remember she was so sweet. She wouldn't say anything mean about, anything mean about anybody. Somebody tried to trip her up and said, well, what do you think about the devil? She said, well, he's real good at being bad. <laughs> Let me tell you something. He's real good at being bad. And he starts by stealing. What does he steal? Has he stolen your joy? He can. Has he stolen your testimony? He can. Has he stolen your growth? He can. He can steal so much from us and leave us bereft of that which we need for life and for abundant life. He is the master at doing that. He is the great thief. And you must ask yourself this morning, what has he stolen from me? What has he taken from my family? Has he taken my joy? Has he taken my peace? He can do it. If you let him, he can do it. He's done it to me. He can do it to you. But the great thief has come to what? To steal and to kill and to destroy. Let me ask you, what has he killed in your life? Has he killed your dreams? Has he taken away from you what you hoped for? He can He's a killer and a destroyer. We'll study it this next Wednesday night. One of his names is in Hebrew, Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollon, which means the destroyer. The great thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He can take so much. He can destroy so much. What one African-American pastor friend of mine said, but then comes the divine conjunction. But, but, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. 
life abundant. Oh, by the way, one of the reasons I love that verse, it is the most succinct verse in all the Bible that encapsulates spiritual warfare. It tells us who is trying to get us, who's trying to save us. It tells us who is destroying us and who will lift us up. It is the most powerful verse in the scripture that succinctly describes the spiritual warfare that we really truly experience. It's also, I spent a whole year in the PhD program studying Christology. It is the most succinct statement of Christology ever. It tells who he is and why Jesus came. He said, I have come, but... The divine conjunction. I have come that you might have life. Satan wants to kill, steal, and to destroy. But I have come for a totally different reason. He's trying to get the people to see this. Just like he's trying to get us to see it today. I've come that you might have life. Do you have life? You can only have it through the door. There's only one way. Everybody tries to find it so many other ways. He said only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ. I have come that you might have life. That's John 3.16 kind of life. Eternal life. Forever life. I have come that you might have life. Wow. But he doesn't just end there. He says, I have come that you might have life. And that you might have life abundant. You see, the latter part of that verse is truly exceptional. The way of Christ is the way of life. And not only life, but what? Full and abundant life. Versions translated different ways, but it means life to the full. Life to the fullest of its essence. He didn't come so that you might be saved and then sit sour. He came that you might be saved and then that you might grow into an abundant life. And if you cannot say, I'm closer, Lord, now than I was, something's not right. But Satan can steal your growth. He can steal your joy. He can steal your maturity, your maturation. He can take away the discipleship that God wants to happen. And it happens often. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. And life abundant. Oh, my friends, he doesn't want us to live a humdrum existence. He does not want us to live a kind of a sour experience. So I have to remind a lot of Christians, if you have an abundant life, please tell your face. Because it doesn't look too abundant right now. It doesn't look real full right now. Please tell your face. Well, Jesus said, I'm the door to all of this. I'm the door. said it not once, he said it twice. Oh, Satan wants to keep that door locked and closed. But Jesus said, you come to me. You can go in and out. You can find the best of pasture. I've got it for you. By faith, we must turn the key. In salvation, we can turn the key not only to that life, but also to that abundant life. Well, let me just ask you, what part of your life has been missing the fullness of Christ? What has Satan stolen what has Satan stolen from you? What he's taken away? Oh, my friends, he wants to give you, he, the Lord, wants to give you a new life. Fuller, more abundant than anything you've ever imagined before. He wants to bring back what the locusts, the Bible says, have eaten. He does for you and for me. Would you be saved today?
Would you live a full life today? Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. Thank you particularly for verse 10 that encapsulates so powerfully what you've done for us and what you want to do for us. And I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place, Lord, that you would take our lives and let them be what you want them to be. That we had not stopped growing. We had not stopped allowing that abundant, full life to be manifest fully in who we are. We need you. We need you now. So speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.